gets inside, leans in, knocked away and stolen by Holiday. Now up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. To Curry, way down top. This the dagger. This kind of sick. Zion's gonna want out soon. Here's the thing, I don't think the front office of that organization, of that New Orleans organization, knows what the heck they're doing. What can I say? Mamba out. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Eunanks. And boy, oh boy, do we got some good stuff going on today. Yes, today. I don't know if you guys were listening to my podcast yesterday, but I highly recommend that you do that. Why? Because yesterday, we broke down the MVP and Rookie of the Year. So between yesterday and today, we're going to be breaking down all of the awards. And today we're going to be covering six-man, defensive player, coach of the year, and most improved. In hindsight, I should have done free and free, but you know what? Four and two is a lot better, especially when on the first day we were doing an MVP and rookie of the year. We talked about names like Jalen Williams. Yes, he's uh, just soaring in the ranks, so go check that out. You do not want to miss that. Today we have a lot we got to talk about. Again, I'm not going to be talking about much. I know the Phoenix Suns lost yesterday, but they're on a two-game skid. What I'm going to be doing for you guys is I'm going to be putting out a bonus content. Bonus content just for you guys to address what's going on with the Phoenix Suns. So I'm not going to do it here today because I want to focus on the awards. I'm going to do a podcast episode tomorrow, a special podcast episode, dedicated to the Phoenix Suns, outlining their loss with the Kings, or to the Kings, to the Warriors, and then their game here tonight. And real quick, I'm pulling up that schedule. Today, at 7 p.m., it's uh, Bucks versus Suns. So, I definitely will be covering that game live on Twitter.com slash But, guys, go check out that podcast episode, special episode, a bonus episode, episode here tomorrow morning. So, please, do not miss that. You do not want to miss all of those goodies. Um... More stuff is coming out of John Morant, but I'll touch on that a little bit tomorrow. The biggest thing I do want to talk about is the NBA MBPA discussion about minimum games played requirement for major awards. I'm going to talk about that, but first, I want to let you guys know that when it comes to social media, I am everywhere. Doesn't matter what social media app you are on. I am pretty much there. I'm on the major ones. Instagram, yes. Twitter, yes. Facebook, yes. And even for Tumblr, for anyone that still uh, gives a darn about Tumblr. But yeah, Twitter.com slash CourtsideHeat, Instagram.com slash CourtsideHeat, NBA, and Facebook.com slash CourtsideHeat. Come on, guys. Just uh, subscribe down there. We got good stuff. Facebook, that's where I'm always talking about games. I like to believe that when I'm on Twitter, I'm giving you guys great content. If you find that find that true as well, then just like, retweet, and follow. Trust me, guys. Y'all will not be disappointed. Just won't be disappointed. So, guys, let's just jump into today's podcast episode because we got a lot to talk about. Again, if you guys have not seen the MVP discussion, rookie of the year discussion, here's a quick quick breakdown. 
MVP should be going to Joel Embiid, and Rookie of the Year should be going to Paolo Panchero. Unless Jalen Williams does something crazy, then Rookie of the Year should be going to Paolo Panchero. Uh, fantastic rookie, averaging 20 points for the Orlando Magic. Absolute stud. Uh, then for MVP, Nikhil Jokic, unsure into the history, should not be winning it. I broke him down month by month, comparing him to a month by month of Joel Embiid, and it's clear that Joel Embiid's the winner. Starting from the first month all the way to the current month of the NBA. So guys, just, just check it out, trust me. It'll make a lot more sense of what I'm talking about. It'll be a lot more deeper, a lot more detailed. So go check that out. Um, if you're on Apple, if you're on SoundCloud, if you're on wh wherever, we're on all the apps. Just go back into it and you will check it out. You'll just be able to see it. And yeah, it will be pretty easy. And I would also recommend, guys, that you check out Saturday's podcast episode as well. That I was talking about Kevin Durant. The biggest impact in the West when it comes to injuries and stuff like that. But enough chin wagging on that. Let's talk about more awards. And my first piece of breaking news and this came out by Sean Sharania yesterday around like the afternoonish, afternoonish, and it was where, as a part of the NBA's ongoing collective bargaining agreement talks with the uh, National Basketball Player Association. The NBPA is stipulations being discussed that a player must play in a minimum of regular season games to be eligible for major awards. Um, it says both sides are in agreement on trying on tying major awards to games played over the course of the season. There's R1 president that the parties can point to where a player must appear in at least 58 games to qualify for the league scoring title. Look. They sure had it. They already should have major awards. I'm happy to do it for the scoring title, for the league scoring title, but to be honest with you guys, I believe they should have been here for years. I think they should have been here in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, 10s, 20s. I, I don't care because it should have been there, especially when guys were playing. Well, hold on. If most guys back then were playing 60, 70, 80 games, look, you weren't going to have the need. But now you need to have the need. I think you need to have that need in the 2010s. If, if we're going to start in the 2010s or even the 2000s, it should have been there. Because of load management just going out of hand, you can't expect like LeBron James, guys like LeBron James, who's not even hitting the 58-game requirement, right, to win those awards or be considered for those awards. And I'm not saying that it always has to be that way. I'm just saying that for now it has to be. It makes it more fair for everyone and it incentivizes everyone to play games and just to continue to play games and try to be the best version of the Windows Awards for major awards. So I don't know if they're calling a minor award like six man. I, I don't know. I don't know what they would consider a major award. MVP, Rookie of the Year, yeah. Most improved player. Like most of these, in my opinion, are major awards. So I don't know what they would consider. Like, are we talking about the main ones? Then, like, oh, like this titles, like the scoring title, all those other titles. Like, are you just gonna put that in? Like, oh, those are major. Those are minor. 
Who knows? But there are discussions between the two parties on discussing a minimum games played requirement for major awards. I think that's fair. I, I have no problem with that. I'm, in fact, I've been wanting that. I think if you have 58 games for a scoring title, you should have at least 60 games for the MVP, right? Because you need to play of almost the entire season. You need to play almost the entire season to be considered as an MVP. You need to play at least 73%. Yeah, you need to play 73% of the season. That's pretty much playing 60 games in the season out of 82, right? So, with that being said, you need to at least play 73%. That, that's just, that to me, it seems fair. Now, if you want to make like even 70%, sure, do however you want. But more than 70% of the season needs to be played in order to be considered for those awards. Something just in my opinion, which would change up the landscape drastically when we talk about these awards next season, if they have a next season, but for the seasons to come, it's going to be shaping up to be different. And I hope that curves load management a bit. Probably won't, but... I don't want to be pessimistic. I want to be optimistic. But well, that's a different conversation for another day. For a different day. With that being said, let's just jump right into the awards. Cause I want I want to jump inside. We have to jump into that. And I want to start with Coach of the Year. I, I wanna I wanna start with Coach of the Year because I think this is gonna be the easiest. I mean the easiest award to to announce. I think whether it's unanimous or not does not matter. What I mean. I think it should be the Sacramento Kings head coach. He has done such a fabulous job. Michael Brown has done such a fabulous job. And you guys can critique him for him always being defense first. If you had the opportunity to get a guitarist Halliburn or Matisse Feibel, whatever it would be, or gotta be defense first, you probably utilize them more. Then maybe you're not gonna crush them as much. Whatever your whatever your hesitancies are, whatever your uh, complaints are, it does not matter. He is gonna be winning the final. He's gonna be winning um, the uh, Coach of the Year award. He's going to be winning Coach of the Year. It's not even close because he's turning around this team. The Kings are in third place right now. They had the third seed in the Western Conference, 40-27. and 27. They're doing something that is just spectacular to see. They're going to be going to the pause for the first time in 16 years. For the first time in 16 seasons. Think about that. There is so much grand significance behind that. So much grand significance. So, I would love, I, I would love to see him as, as it. And if you go look at the betting odds from Vegas Insider, he's at minus 250. Next would be Boston Celtics head coach Joe Mazzola at plus 250. So not even not only is Michael Brown number one, but he's the uh, favored runaway 
to win this award. And I couldn't agree anymore, to be honest. Like, sure, you have Michael Malone up there. Sure, Jay Bickerstaff and Tara Jenkins and Mike Boonholzer's up there with Will Hardy. It's going to be Michael Brown. Joe Mazzala has done such a fabulous job. He's done such a great job. He's 47-22. And I'm not undermining any of these top candidates besides Mike Boonholzer. Helps like when you're carried by a super team. Helps. Especially when you win a championship. Um, anyways. I'm not taking anything away. But. There, this is just significant. When you look at the 2023 NBA Coach of Year odds. And you see Mike Brown. Winning by that much. It should be unanimous. It should be. Even if the. Even if the Kings start losing a bit. He's still running away with this. Now it may not be unanimous. But. I would take that every single day of the week. I would take him winning every single day of the week. Because they're just that good. The Kings have transformed under him. That's just a simplistic fact. The Kings have transformed under the guidance of Michael Brown. They've struggled under Luke Walton. That was, Luke Walton's not a bad coach. Just was the wrong fit. It just did not work out well for Sacramento. But Michael Brown him? That works. It works greatly. And I don't know if there's many people that could say it can't. Because it's already happening. And I believe that that would be the first time he's won a major award. As I'm just going to bring this up real quick. He's been an assistant head coach since 2016-17. But he was a head coach, if you guys remember, for Cleveland from... 05 to 10, and then with the Lakers for two seasons, back to Cleveland, and then was assistant head coach under uh, Steve Kerr, then finally getting a good gig. So, I can see you guys being hesitant. I see you guys being hesitant about him running away with this award that may just be a fluke. I don't think so. I think he's matured as a head coach because... I'm not going to lie. His, okay, so he, so let's just break this down. In 05 06, 15 32. In 06 07, 15 32 again, but he took him to the Eastern uh, Conference. He was uh, Eastern Conference champs. 07 08, 35 37. But then in 08 09, 66 and 16. Um, then you saw in 09-10, 61-21, but he had LeBron James, he had, he had a lot of help in Fury. And then you go to the Lakers, 41-25, then, okay, it doesn't last very long, they don't want to keep him after he starts 1-4, and, and then he goes to Cleveland, 33-49. Been a, then he was out of this, was out of the NBA for what two seasons? Yeah, two seasons. Then he was just an assistant head coach, assistant coach for the next. Uh, hold on, one, two, three, four, five, six for the next six seasons, and he's finally getting a chance again. He's finally getting his chance. I like that. To be honest, I like that. 
I'm not going to complain about him because he's shown that he can't win games. And I think he has the best probability. I think he's matured a lot. I just think he's the runaway. I think he's the favorite. I'm not going to hold those past seasons against him. But I think he has grown. I think he is being more offense. I, I want to call him like the greatest balanced head coach ever. Because I think sometimes he does try to tap into defense more. But he's adjusting very nicely. And I, I don't think we can undermine that in the shortest. So I think he's come up with some of a balanced head coach. He's adjusting and just acquiescing. Acquiescing is not the right word, but he's he's there. He He's, what was the right word? He's just become a more balanced head coach. He just is. Whether he was forced into that or not, he understands the current climate. And he knows that being a balanced head coach, even though he loves defense a lot, you're always going to have to stick by offense first and offense alone, especially in this modern era of basketball and how the rules are as of today. But yeah, so Michael Brown, clear favorite. Absolute clear favorite. I don't disagree with that at all. Now, I want to talk about most improved player because just like head, uh, head coach this year, coach of the year, most improved player, it should be Laurie Markkinen. Hands down, Laurie Markkinen. This is a guy that has transcended his career, just morphed it into some greatness. He's shaping up to be really, really good. He made his first all-star appearance. He, he, he's been amazing. He's been amazing. He's scoring 25 points per game, averaging 8 rebounds, and almost 2 assists per game. To me, guys, you can't undermine that. You can't undermine that. And the last time I've checked the DraftKings um, most improved player odds, he's at a minus 450. He's going to be winning this. He's going to be winning this. It's a runaway. He should be winning this. I, 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 I don't know. I don't know how many people would agree with me, but you can't deny that he's been turning it around. I think we're going to be seeing some pretty easy winners. and Not easy like in a sense like where they have no competition, because there is competition. They've just been running away with it. When you see the Lord marketing, because yesterday he blew up for 38, 8, and a 1 and 3. Okay, here, he had 38 points. 14 of 26 from the field, 6 and 12 from deep, 8 rebounds, 1 assist, 3 steals, 1 block. Come on. That is, that's that's amazing. He's only 25. And to put into comparison how well he's doing, in 2021 when he was with the Cavaliers, he averaged 14 points. He has a 11 point difference. He is, he's plus 11. He has a plus three rebound difference. In 2021, it was five. In 2022, it's eight and a half. Assists went up by 0.5. Steals and rebounds are the same. But if you check out the Bulls, his rookie season, 15, 2018, uh, 18. Then he dipped down to 14. Then he dipped down again to 13. He went up to uh, 14, almost 15. Now he's at 25 and a half. He's at 25 solid points, shooting 50%. He's shooting a career high in not only three-pointers, but also 
from the field. Think about that. His field goal percentage and his three-point percentage are higher. He has career highs. So that is very significant to me. He is better than his averages on his career. And if you do a breakdown by breakdown, uh, season by season comparison, he's, he's obviously, obviously, He's he's just the number one guy to win it. He is. And many people can say, well, how about Shago Alexander? He has he has a great chance of winning it. He is averaging thirty one points a game. He's averaging thirty one points a game. I get people can say whatever they want, but he's averaging thirty one points a game, five rebounds, five assists, one steal and one block. Off of 51% from the field, and 34% from deep. Look, he's up in points, field goal percentage, uh, three-point percentage, and steals and blocks from last season. Okay, I can see where you're coming from. I can see where you're coming from. 100%. But it's just all in marketing because his numbers change drastically. And for the better, he improves significantly. He improves significantly. Shea Gilgar has improved. He improved greatly. But he was always meant to be that guy. No one looked at Lloyd Marketing saying he's going to be averaging 25, 8, and 5. They looked at Shea Gilgar and saying, okay, he can average 35 and 5 with steals and blocks being a uh, bonus, being the added bonus. So I one hundred percent believe that Lauren Markins the one to win it. Shago Zara was be- was supposed to be the guy. He is that guy. He was two or his expectations. Lauren Markins has been in this league, and he went down. Shago Alexander started with 10, then went 19, 23, 24, now 31. He's always been going up. Those expectations were always for him to go up, and that he was going to be more than just a most improved player. To me, Shago Alexander is not in the most improved category. He's in the MVP category. As funny as that may sound to some, it's really comprehensible to say, that's fair. That's right. He's averaging the same numbers as Luka Doncic, as Jason Tatum, and as many other people. John Morant. I think he's scoring better than John Morant. I think he is. Give me a second. I'm going to look up John Morant's stats. And scoring has become a big part of how a person is viewed as MVP and as part. So look. Yeah, sure, he's our, re- our, our rebounding him, but it's only by one rebound. And out assisting him, out passing him. But the steals, he has more he has more steals per game and more blocks per game. And he's scoring four more points to him per game. And he's shooting 4%, 5% better. He's shooting 5% better than him. That That says a lot there. That says a lot. It does. In my personal opinion, it does. 
And obviously, he's played more games than Job, but whatever. So, Shea Gilgis Alexander, to me, is more of an NBA, is more of an MVP candidate than an MIP candidate. That is just my personal opinion. So, Lord Marketing, he started, went up for one season, then he completely crashed. Not many people are taking him seriously in Chicago. He moves on to Cleveland. Cleveland didn't want him anymore, so they gave him up with Colin Sexton, with a bunch of guys going over to Utah, and Utah being a very good team. So, I think unanimously people are going to be saying, well, we're marketing over Shea Gilgis Alexander because Shea Alexander is not a most improved player. While he's up there because he's having improving stats, just not from last season, but when he started because he's always been improving, it's going to be Lori Markkinen. Just because he's the type of player that beautifully and perfectly molds and just fits into what an improved, most improved player looks like into that category. And that's no insult towards Laurie Markkinen. In fact, this is a huge step in the right direction for him to be taken seriously and to have credibility towards his name. And to be, I'm not going to say feared, but taken seriously. I, I think that's very, very fair to say. And despite the team being 33 and 36 and 12, they're still fighting for, they're still fighting. Still fighting for the playing tournament. But you got a lot of talent on there. It goes beyond this season. You have Colin Sexton, Walker Kessel, who I love, Jordan Clarkson, and Lord Marketing. You then you have a pretty solid bench with THT Kelly Olenek, uh Rudy Gay. He's old up there, but you got you got guys. Could it get better? Sure. But look. It is what it is. Plus, Rudy Gay has to be so... He's old, isn't he? Yeah, he's 36. He's getting up there. He's only playing... Well, he's playing 14 and a half minutes. He's definitely tanked. He's been in the league since 2006. So, cut the guy some slack. How's Kelly Lennon doing? 12 points. 5 and a half rebounds. 3.3 assists. 1 steal. Almost 1 block. Okay, not the worst. But no, so I think Coach of the Year and Most Improved Player of, of the Year is going to be going to be a unanimous or close to unanimous. It's going to be a very easy decision, in my opinion, but I, I don't even think it's like a huge debate. Put Shigos there secondly. You could talk about Jalen Brunson and Mikael Bridges, but Mikael Bridges per lineups.com is a plus 8,000. Same with Tyrese Halliburton, and then you have Jalen Brunson as a plus 5,000. Then Chico is there at plus 800. Then you have to go all the way down to minus 450 for marketing. So first and second, it's not even close. It's not even close. You have to award all your marketing, just in my opinion. Now, I want to talk about the NBA Sixth Man of the Year odds. Because I, I don't know how people feel about this. I, I don't know how everyone feels about this. 
because many recognizable names are in there, like Malik Monk, Bobby Portis, um, Emmanuel Quigley, Malcolm Brogdon. In my humble opinion, <laughs> jeez, that's never good when someone starts out, in my humble opinion. I'm just going to be honest. The Sixth Man of the Year Award, that race, I would give it to Malcolm Brogdon. I would give it to Malcolm Brogdon. I get that he's only averaging 15, 4, and 3. And you have guys like Norman Plot averaging 16, 3, and 2. But he's doing really well. Like, Malcolm Brogdon has just been electrifying. I, I would have him as a close one, if not already one. He's just transcended the way we see six-man players. We The way we see the six-man rule. And this is actually shocking that he's adapted so well after being a leading scorer for the Indiana Pacers for many, many years. Look. His impressive shooting, playmaking, scoring has been able to make him an all-star caliber player. And his six-man ability is just amazing. But while I believe all of that, I do believe something else. And I believe that Emmanuel quickly is going to give him a run for his money. As much as I like Norman Powell, I do... I don't know. I ignore Plow. Don't get me wrong. I just don't. I just see the entire team burning out. I see the Clippers burning out. Because if you take a look at the team right now, just take a look at the team. You go to standings and you see the Clippers. They're at six. They're 36 and 33. They've, they've, they've run a free game win streak. I just seem stalling out. I don't know. I know they're going to be collecting themselves. I just don't feel as confident, as favorable to say, yeah, Norma Palau, he's going to win it. Tyrus Maxey now, wait a minute. Tyrus Maxey, he's averaging 22 and three and a half. But, I believe Tyrus Maxey has a better. I believe Tyrus Maxey has a better chance of winning Six Man of the Year rather than Norman Powell. Same goes for Bobby Portis. Same goes for all those guys. I really do believe it's between Malcolm Brogdon and Emmanuel Quickly. So Emmanuel quickly is averaging 13, 3, and 1. He's done very well to elevate the play of the Knicks. I, I think we can I think we can all agree on that. The Knicks are in a 60 of the Eastern Conference. They're 40 and 30. They have a better record than the Clippers, and then No, nah, they can't have a better record than <laughs> the Celtics, but I I don't know. Hold on, let's think about this. 
Who would you rather want a six man of the year? Emmanuel Quickly or Malcolm Brogdon? Like, who would you rather want to see? Emmanuel Quickly or Malcolm Brogdon? I like both guys. Emmanuel Quickly's not that bad. He's not. He's been improving himself as well. First two seasons, 11. Now he's making a jump to 13 and a half. Going up in rebounds. Uh, going up a little bit in the uh, steals. But his field goal percentage is up. By almost 5%. So. I don't know. That, that one's a tough one to me. Because. I'm not going to rule out Tyrus Maxey. I think that will be foolish of me. If he continues the way he's playing, he's he's definitely top three in my opinion. He's definitely top three. But Emmanuel quickly has soared up to give the Knicks a legitimate shot. Like, I would make him... My sixth man of the year, but also make Malcolm Brogdon my sixth man of the year. I. This one was a more tougher one for me. This was more challenging for me. Because they're so similar. They are similar. Brogdon is only leading by a point. Rebounds are the same, assists are the same, steals are the same, blocks are the same. Field percentage, yeah, Malibra has the edge by 4.5%, or 4.2%. And he's playing three lesser minutes than uh, Manuel Quickly. It's actually really, really interesting. I find this a very interesting debate because you look at this, you look at the Knicks play, and you look at the Celtics. I think I'm going to give it to Emmanuel quickly. So we'll go Emmanuel quickly, Michael Brown, and Tyrese Maxey. Those will be my top three guys. One to three. But why would I give it to Emmanuel quickly over Malcolm Brogdon? It's because Malcolm Brogdon does not have the pressure of being the spectacular, impactful six-man. Yes, he's one to be good for the Celtics and every piece matters. And the Celtics are on their own old skid right now. They're still trying to discover themselves, rediscover themselves, if you want to call it that. But the Knicks... The Knicks aren't as talented as the Celtics. The Celtics are an established team with an established group of guys. The Knicks, they're established in being up and down. They're known to be up and down. Joyce Randall, he's okay. He's not worth all the hype. R.J. Barrett, he can be up and down. I still like R.J. Barrett, but he can be up and down. When you look at this Knicks team, and I get it, you also have Jalen Brunson, it takes everyone. And when you look at the six-man, a six-man can be so critical for a team. It can be so critical. That 
It would mean more to have Emmanuel quickly be the sixth man of the year if he, if he continues to play the same than Malcolm Brogdon because the Celtics are more established, they're deeper, and they just have a better connection than the Knicks do. If you're talking about players and translating that to wins and just impactful, meaningful games that gets them somewhere. So, I'm not saying that Emmanuel quickly holds this team up entirely. I'm just saying that he's a part of the glue. He's holding together the starting unit and the bench together. Malcolm Brogdon, you can say that a little bit, but Emmanuel quickly's not playing with... Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum. And that's not a knock to the game of Malcolm Brogdon. I'm not knocking on that. I just... I just would go for... Emmanuel quickly over Malcolm Brogdon, because I think he deserves a little more than Malcolm Brogdon. As crazy as it may sound, there's just more pressure of him upholding his six-man-of-the-year or his six-man role duties on New York's roster than Boston's roster with Malcolm Brogdon. And again, I'm not trying to slight Malcolm Brogdon. That's just where I'm coming from because they're just so stacked. You have a team of Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Horford, Blake Griffin, Robert Williams III, Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon, Grant Williams, um, and, a and a good bench. That says a lot, guys. That absolutely says a lot. I don't know about you guys, but that does say a lot. That does say a lot. It does. But this one's a little more challenging because they're both so similar, but I think if you if you go by the stats, you would give the edge to Malcolm Brogdon. But going beyond the stats, because they're so similar besides a few categories like shooting percentage just by 4.2%, and you look at the game and how everything is shaping out in the standings, and you just see the games being played, you would give it to Emmanuel quickly because... The Knicks aren't as good as the Celtics, obviously. There's limited talent where there's unlimited talent down in Boston. If you're comparing New York to Boston. And that makes Emmanuel Quickly's play even more special and coveted. So I think if you're going to look at that and just look beyond the stats, you would give it to Emmanuel Quickly. I think you would have to. That, that's at least in my opinion. That's at least in my opinion. I, I think Emmanuel Quickly should be winning this. I say Emmanuel Quickly has to win it. And I, I'm not saying it has to, like, Malcolm Brogdon's not up there. I, I would take it being, again, Emmanuel Quickly, Malcolm Brogdon, and then uh, Tyrus Maxey. And I get it that... You have um, points bets talking about Tyrus Maxey being 10,000 plus 10,000 and Gary Trent being 7,000. I get that. A 
Look, FanDuel has Emmanuel Quickly going plus 200. Points Buzz has Malcolm Brogdon minus 134. Honestly, to me, I still take Emmanuel Quickly. I take Emmanuel Quickly every day of the week, twice on Sunday. I, I would take him. And I'm still struggling with this because you're two good six-man players. But I'm going to have to give it to Emmanuel quickly. And if you guys want to give me your thoughts, hit me up on social media, DM me or text me, whatever. Just do it. I'm going to be always responding to you guys. And, yeah, let's get on to our final award. And we've covered... MVP Rookie of the Year. That was the last podcast episode. Again, guys, check that out. Um, then we've covered Six Man. We've covered Coach of the Year. We've covered um, Most Improved Player. Then we now we've covered Six Man. If I already didn't say that. So our final award is going to be Defensive Player of the Year. Deploy. And this one's also interesting to me. Because many people are saying Brooke Lopez. Many people are saying Jaron Jackson Jr. Some people are even saying Robert Williams III. I don't know. So I'm going to rule out these guys. And I get that Herbert Jones' top 10 steals, deflection, charges. But Herbert Jones, not ready to win deploy. Nick Claxton. Not ready to win deploy. Alex Caruso, not ready to win deploy. Dylan Brooks, not ready to win deploy. Um, OJ and Obi, probably not. I want to see him. Honestly, Bama Bow included. Even though he's still versatile with the tenacity. Look, um, they're not top five. They're not top three, most certainly, but they're not top five. They're probably seven and up, probably ten and up, most likely. But these guys just have not proved it yet. Evan Mobley, I get that he leads the NBA in contested three-pointers. I just, I don't, I just don't, I don't, I don't do any of those guys. I just, I wouldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't put those guys in top three. Couldn't put the guys in top seven. Couldn't put them in top five. I couldn't put them in the top nine. They're top ten and beyond. Evan Mobley, maybe a little better than Herbert Jones, but that's kind of close. They're better than Nick Claxton, in my opinion. Alex Crusoe, definitely. Yeah, I just don't see it. I think it comes down to Brooke Lopez and Jaron Jackson Jr. Robert Williams is actually really interesting. But I don't think so. Because the max appearances that Robert Williams can make this season is 47 because he's just been injured so much. And that honestly does not constitute 
Defensive Player of the Year. For any award, you can only play 47 games. So I think for that reason, that reason alone, he's eliminated. Because you have to play more than 47 games. You have to play more than 60 games to say, I'm a lockdown defender, I'm the best defender, and I have to be taken seriously. I know I can cover the best of the best. But if you can only play in 47 games, you're not proving that. You're not showing that. There's nothing spectacular out there, right? Then Jaron Jackson Jr., he's actually... I don't know. Because Jaron Jackson Jr. is very, very, very interesting. Because his aggressiveness is costing him. His greatest strengths are turning into his greatest weakness. Because he's costing his team fouls. And it's just been really, really bad. He fouled out on Sunday's game against Boston in 20 minutes. That's hard to do. That's really hard to do. I don't know. His fouls have jumped up. I get that. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. The, he's, he's fouled out three times more than... Rudy Gobert and Marcus Smart when they won the awards, and Rudy Gobert won it three times, and Marcus Smart won it once. I just don't see Jaron Jackson Jr. being that guy. I don't. So if you had to tell me, you had to, you forced, so you, you forced me. You said, okay, this is life or death. Who do you want as your defensive player of the year? And you picked that, and that's the guy you ride and die with on the defensive end. Brooke Lopez or Jerry Jackson Jr. I don't trust Jerry Jackson Jr. He's good, but he's turned into a liability. Plus, I'm pretty sure they're inflating his stats. Just me. Brooke Lopez, he's doing really well, man. I hate the Bucks with a burning passion. I don't like Brooke Lopez. I respect him, but he's annoying to play up against. But, to me, he's a solid 10. He's a solid, solid 10. I 100% believe that Brooke Lopez is the guy to do it. He's I believe the 34-year-old's case to win deep play is very strong. In contesting shots, he's contesting 17.3 shots nightly. With Nick Claxton coming at 12.2. So, and NBA.com's doing the math here. That works out to be 952 contested shots, 283 more than runner-up uh, Zubok. Plus, if you think about this, he's averaging 7 footers, averaging 2.5 blocks per game. Like, his size, skills, and experience ha is just making him it's just making him even deadlier this season. I think he should be winning it. He, Because I know he's not going to be slowing down. Plus, plus, if you looked at 
the social media account of the Milwaukee Bucks on February 1st, 2023, Brooke Lopez recorded a 7-5 plus block night of the season. That was back in February. We're in March. He's been doing this kind of stuff since last month and pretty much when this season started. So that's just another example of why he's going to be deployed. But there's also going to be a lot of people who have said there's also some flaws. That yes, while he's contesting 17 shots and he's contesting almost a thousand shots and he's doing more of that in, than anyone else, there's still weaknesses in that. You, you could say the same about Jaron Jackson Jr., but you just look, he's 34. He's good, but not great. And people are going to try to get on the train about, oh, Jaron Jackson Jr. is about to have a whole debate. It's really going to come down to the Bucks and Grizzlies. But if but Brooke Lopez, in my opinion, is not becoming a liability to his team. Jaron Jackson Jr. is. I may be a tough pill to swallow, tough news, and may choke you out, but it's the truth. It really is the truth. Because Jaron Jackson Jr., he's becoming a defensive liability. Can he score, put a nice touch offensively? Sure. But defensively, when we're talking about Virtus Award, his fouls are going up, he keeps fouling out, and it's becoming a worse and worse and worse and worse by the night. It just keeps getting worse, and it's bad. And he's become problematic. Brooke Lopez is not. So I think in all of this talking, you have to put Brooke Lopez at one. Jaron Jackson is two, but he's a far away two. Then Robert Williams is not going to be considered. He'll be a number three because he's better than Bam Abba, OG Anobi, Dylan Brooks, and everyone else. Probably combined. But he's definitely but he's definitely free and that's it. When you're comparing everyone else. Because Nick Clax is not a free. No one else is a free. So it probably would go Brooke Lopez winning it. Jaron Jackson Jr. To me, and I haven't looked at the betting odds, but if I if I had a, if I was a betting man and I was looking at this, Brooke Lopez would probably be a minus two fifty. Uh, Jared Jackson Jr. would be probably like a plus four hundred, and you see like a plus thousand given to Robert Williams third. I have not seen the bet lines yet for that. What Vegas is saying, what FanDuel is saying, what anyone else is saying, DraftKings doesn't matter. I haven't looked at that yet. All I do know and understand the game of basketball, and you see it for a long time, especially if you're a fan of the game and you see it, or if you're not a fan of the game, you just watch these guys play. I think that Brooke Lopez is the clear winner. I think it's going to be Brooke Lopez by a mile. I just, there's not a lot of competition. Besides Jaron Jackson Jr. Playing 47 games won't cut it. Just won't. Jaron Jackson Jr. is just killing himself. And I get that. That he's having some flashy blocks and contests. But he's being reckless. He's being reckless. Jaron Jackson Jr. is a reckless, liable player. It's Brooke Lopez. I think it's very easy. Unless Brooke Lopez starts turning to a mini uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., he should be winning this. He absolutely should be winning this. And I think it's good. But I think it would be foolish to say it's not. 
I know there's even some Memphis Grizzlies fans that would agree with me because Jaron Jackson Jr., because they've seen a night in and night out, is a liability. Jaron Jackson Jr. used to be good. He's not anymore. He's more of a liability. I'm sorry if that hurts your guys' soul. It's just the absolute truth. He used to be good, but now he's not. He caught fire, but now he's not. It's, it's going to be Brooke Lopez, and it's going to be Brooke Lopez for the longest of time. She's going to be that way. She's going to be that way. I hate to ruffle y'all's feathers, but it's just going to be that way. And I think that could be called pretty... I think that could be a close one as well. To be honest, I think that could be a close one. But not as close as MVP. In fact, I, I don't even think it's going to be... I don't think it's going to be that close as we've seen um, the MVP. It's gonna it's gonna generate a lot of buzz. A lot of people are gonna be upset, but you're not gonna see people be like, "Oh, okay, so we have a competition." It's really not even a competition. Brooke Lopez is the better player defensively, and maybe even offensively. Hold on, let me check out his offensive stats because I've not checked out his offensive stats to be real for you guys. Yeah, he's better. He's better offensive player. 15, 6, 1. 51.6% from the field. 38% from deep. Yeah, he's coming off of a 23-point performance. 23, 8, and 4 with free blocks. Come on. And guys, March 9th. March 9th, 9 blocks. He's not playing, he's not playing reckless. His experience and his and just who he is. Has given him this mentality to know when to go up and be strong and when not to. He's truly a master of playing defense, and the Bucks have utilized that. And yet, and when he got his nine blocks, that's when he went fifty percent from the field, with ten rebounds and twenty-four points. He had 24, 10, and nine. He almost had a triple double with blocks, rebounds, and points. He got double double. He was just shy. Of block. Like, come on, guys. You can't remind that. Then the following night against the Warriors, he went 19-7 and 5. He had 5 blocks then. Like, come on. You can't undermine that. You really can't. J just Brooke Lopez is on a different level. He's just he's on a different level. You don't see Jerry Jacks doing that. He's liability. The highest he's ever done uh, from the f uh, February 23rd to March 13th was 5. That was back on March 1st. Second that was 4. He done. He had 4 blocks 2 times. He had 5 blocks in 1 game 1 time. But he's averaging 1 to 2. He really is. I guess he's averaging 3 on the season, but Brooke Lopez is just smoking him out of the wars. Blown past him. Like, it's not even funny. Like, he's dismantling him. Like, it's not even funny. He's dismantling, dismantling him. 
So I don't find that a real competition, but I know biased and ego will get in the way, trust me. It always does when it comes to these competitions and comes to voting and just trying to figure out who's the best. I get that. And I can respect that on some level, but it's going to be Brooke Lopez. It's most definitely going to be Brooke Lopez. And guys, with that being said, we have all the awards covered. All the awards are covered. There's nothing left for me to talk about. MVP, Depoy, Rookie Year, Six Man. All of those awards have been covered. MIP has been covered. All of them have been covered. All of them have been covered. So, guys, with that being said, I'm going to be signing off. If you guys need anything, just reach out to me. Keep, keep reading. Keep watching. Trust me. We're almost done. we got less than a month to go before the postseason. This is going to be a very exciting time. Remember, guys, that bonus podcast episode is going to be coming out tomorrow. Talking about the Phoenix Suns, especially tonight's game against the Market Bucks at 7 p.m. Arizona time. And I believe that's at home for the Suns. Uh, let me pull up the Suns' schedule real quick. But I believe that is at home. Uh, that's, that game is at home. The Market Bucks are 39-19. The Suns are 37-31. Again, no Kevin Durant for that. Probably no Landry Shamit. So, guys, with that being said, that is all I got. If you guys have anything else, um, just let me know. Just DM me. I am open. Trust me. With that being said, I'll see you all tomorrow morning for the bonus podcast episode. You know where to find me at Quartz I Heat. Until then, peace out.